Hi, I'm Daniela Stockflutmeni. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Or stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome to this episode. Are you of a diverse background? I am proud to be a mixed culture, as I believe that the world becomes a better place when people mix. Being of a diverse background has its challenges. At times, it prevents me of having a sense of belonging. I was born in Barcelona, Spain, to a German father, a half Venezuelan and half Basque mother, and I grew up mainly in Venezuela. So when people ask me where I am from, it is a long answer. Yet the question, am I Latin, am I European, who am I, requires reflection from my part. Today my guest, Sam Tiara, an educator from Simon Fraser University here in Vancouver, Canada, a storyteller with two TEDx presentations, a writer of a few books, one of them, his incredible narrative called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. Sam is also a mix of cultures, British-born Indian living in Canada whose parents came from Fiji. He's sharing his quest of searching for his identity and rediscovering his ancestral roots. He asks, am I Indian? Am I Canadian? Am I Sikh? Who am I? Some of you may relate as I did, so let's enjoy his story. Sam, welcome to the show. I am excited that you're here today. Uh, thank you for having me here today. And yes, uh, it's all about storytelling and everybody has a story. Yes, and you're good at that. Why are you bringing a story to us? It goes back to my signature tagline, everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. And it's one that really resonates with me because I want to work with people to help them realize that they have stories within them. Just the fact that I've been able to realize my stories, this is why I'm here, is to just be able to share stories with you, have a conversation, and hopefully people may pull little bits and pieces that help them in really figuring out their stories. Perfect. Okay, so Sam, how does the story start? Well, the story starts that oftentimes I grew up trying to really think about or realize, who am I? What's my identity? And it's always been interesting because visibly, I look like someone who may come from India or Middle East. And people will say, what part of India are you from? And I look at them and say, well, I was born in England and raised in Canada. They're like, no, 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 no. Your parents, what part of India? And I'm like, well, my parents come from Fiji. And then they look perplexed because they're like, wait, so are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandfathers come from India. Or people will be, well, you're not Indian, you're Canadian. And I always struggled with this identity piece because here, growing up in Canada, well, you assume a life of playing hockey, putting maple syrup on your pancakes, maybe hugging a polar bear, which many people think we do. It's always funny in that regard. But, you know, you assume this life that's Canadian. It was interesting because in high school, which was, I would say, a little bit on the difficult side for me because there were hardly any visible minorities in our high school. You think of yourself as Canadian 
until you maybe get beat up because you're a different color or you just don't look the same. And I just remember it made me feel like, let's say a duck's egg rolls into a swan's nest. The swan hatches all of these eggs and the duck emerges. The duck thinks of itself as a swan and does what a swan does. Until one day, the duck looks into the reflection in the water and looks at everyone else and says, wait, I'm different. Wait, if I'm different, then what does that mean? And this sort of epitomizes or shows what my life was like, because it was when I got to university into a much diverse cultural mix of people from all around the world, I started thinking about, okay, wait, so I'm British, Canadian, Fijian, Indian, but wait, who am I? And I started looking around and then I saw people that looked like me and uh, the same sort of ethnic background. And I wanted to learn more about that. So it started to, people would ask me in university, so, you know, are you, are, are you from India? And I'm like, no, no, I was you know born in England, raised in Canada and, you know, the usual thing. But my focus started asking them questions. Oh, well, you know, oh, so you're from India. Like, Tell me about what's India like. And, you know, you start now exploring your own identity of the part that you maybe pushed away. And I did push away my Indian identity. In fact, I, in high school, I would even say that I'm, I was embarrassed by it with, let's say, for example, my given name. So my given name is Ajit. Now, my parents didn't call me Sam because they thought, let's Canadianize the name and this and that. They, when I was in England, two years old, sort of riding my scooter in um, Southampton, they started calling me Sam because it's a lovely name. And they just liked the name Sam and it stuck. But I remember high school running into the classroom and saying, you'll notice there's a mistake. It, so, it shows Ajit, but the name is Sam. And yeah, I was embarrassed by that name because you know when they're calling names out amongst all these Canadian names and then a, suddenly a name pops up of, Ajit, or as they might pronounce it as Ajit, people look around, well, what type of name is that? But in university, I realized, wait, that's a nice name, Ajit. You start questioning your own identity and learning. And about 2004, I told myself, I really want to immerse myself. I want to learn more about this part of my life, my Indian heritage and culture that was missing. So my wife and I decided we're going to go to India. For the very first time, I had to do some research, a lot of research, actually, because I also wanted to find my ancestral roots. I wanted to find where my ancestors were coming from. And my grandfather left India many, many years ago, probably around 1905, uh, hopped on a steamer ship, got to Fiji, and then that's where our lives began. And then my parents moved to England. That's where I was born. But I wanted to learn more about my grandfather and where he came from and my Indian heritage and ethnicity. So my wife and I went to India and it was an eye-opening experience because I don't think anything ever prepares you for India. I just still remember that the airport, but as soon as we got to the exit doors and the doors slid open... I just stood there in the doorway as the doorway closed and opened and closed and opened. It was a sea of people. There was literally a thousand people right there before us. And the noise was deafening and people holding signs saying for picking people up or people saying, look, I'll give you a ride, a taxi or whatever. There was only a, 
guardrail that's on our left side and our right side that separated everybody from us. It literally felt like Moses and the Red Sea parted because you're walking along. And I told my wife, you look to the left. I'm going to look to the right, see if we can find our names. And finally, I, in the in somewhere, and I don't know how we came across it, there was our name. It wasn't spelt correctly, but I was like, I don't care who they're here to pick up. It's close enough to our name. We're getting in the car with this guy. And it turned out it was our driver. Wow. Sam, you, so you were born in England and then in, you live in Canada, but you never traveled to Fiji or to India. Actually, in between, I did go to Fiji. Again, that was an amazing experience because it enabled me to finally see a culture and society of people that are like me. But it wasn't India at all, you know, but it enabled me to embrace, okay, wait, this feels like home as well. The reason for India is I wanted to find my grandfather's house, my ancestral roots. I wanted to see what life was like what life is like in India for its magnificence, but also its challenges as well. But I wanted to find myself and it helped me to realize that I went to India with this idea of being a tourist, but through this transition, I became a traveler. A traveler wants to experience the culture that wants to, for, for its brilliance and magnificence, but also its challenges. And it enabled me because I went with this to realize that while there is this poverty and injustice in India, I also saw tremendous resilience in the people. And it's not that they're happy people being poor, but their worries are more of survival and different. The second week, this is where we have to head north to the Punjab to really experience the cultural identity and background of where my ancestors were from. But knowing that all I had to find my village was a faded photograph very little information. We knew the name of the village, Chadori. It sat about six miles from Garshankar, which is a city or town, and it's a district of Hushyarpur. Well, we had toured around in the northern part of India for the second week. This is where my identity really came to a shocking realization. My identity was always segmented. So there's a there's a platter in Indian cuisine called a thali. So you'll have different segmented dishes. And that was what my life used to be like. It was segmented into British, Canadian, Fijian, and Indian. And for 11 years, I played in an Irish military pipe band. So maybe a little bit of Irish chutney on the side as well. So it was always segmented. But I remember waking up early morning in my hotel and suddenly realized why am I segmenting my life into these categories? And whatever group I'm with, that's what I am. Instead, I realized that I'm a rice dish in India called kichdi. Kichdi is a blend of flavors. It's where you go to your fridge and you pull whatever vegetables and add it to rice and mix in all the flavors and spices. That was a, a euphoric moment for me because I said, you know what? I am kichdi. And actually, we are all kichdi. We're a blend of flavors. We're a blend of cultures, a blend of identities. We don't need to be segmenting ourselves. Sam, is a very good analogy. However, I believe that people always need to put people in a box to understand things better. That's kind of like the brain works. You have to the familiar, the unfamiliar. When people ask me, where are you from? I'm like, well, <laughs> where do I start? They all usually look at the color of your skin and then they said, oh, you must be this or that. 
how can we change people's way of thinking? Right. I think it's more of changing your own thinking as opposed to other people's thinking. I mean, they're always going to be asking, where do you come from? Or really, where are you from? Uh, you're right there that for people, it's easier to categorize. It's easier to compartmentalize what you are. But I think for me, it was it was a realization that I can be all of these things. So when I am with, let's say, my Canadian friends, I also can pull in my Indian identity. You can embrace that. Or, you know, when, for example, we're watching Sevens Rugby, I mean, Fiji has one of the world's best team. England has one of the best teams in the world. And Canada's decent. And it's like, well, wait, I can support all three teams. I don't have to segment and uh, categorize myself as I'm only going to support this. I think for me, it's more of your own realization. Uh, people will always still ask, where do you come from? Or, you know, what's your cultural identity? Because again, people are curious. Categorization is easy. I think this was more for me just to help me realize that I'm, I'm this blend of flavors. Blend of flavors. Where are you from? I'm a blend of flavors. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, they're like, oh, interesting. And then that's where I could describe it all. And uh, I'd say I'm a bit of a spicy kitchery at that, not just your plain every, everyday kitchery for what I get to do with life. And that's where it's, I've also been able to talk to other people. And uh, to your point, it's, it's true. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I'm trying to figure out and all I share with them is how I feel and how it's helped me realize. And I think I find comfort in it. And because I find comfort, I think other people can find comfort in it as well. So you went to India and then what happened? So the other half was to find my grandfather's house. I, I love challenges. I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. So with only a faded photograph and very little information and people around me who said, you know, you're not going to find the village. You know, it's a big country, lots of people. At the same time, why are you searching for this village? If you do find the village, you may not get a good reception. So there was a lot of this conversation of, you know, why you shouldn't do it. But inside for me was, I really want to try to find where my grandfather left India and trying to reclaim our ancestral roots because nobody in our family knew where this village was. My dad's older brother had been to the village years and years ago, but he passed away before anyone pulled the information. I love the chase. I love the hunt. And I decided, okay, we'll go. And there were setbacks. We went to the wrong places based on the limited information we have, or people had told us, I think you're in this place. So we went there and you go with this anticipation that you may be able to reclaim your ancestral past. And all of a sudden you're, you're hitting the wall with these setbacks. And I just remember the, the fact that I said, um, forget what anyone has told us. I want to just go back to the original idea and plan. So we went back to the town. We just basically asked people in Garshankar, you know, have you heard of the name Chadori? And sure enough, people were like, no, nope, never heard of it. I think the name's wrong. And then one gentleman said, oh, Chadori, it's up the road six miles this way. And there's this anticipation that, well, okay, but you're guarded at the same time because of all the setbacks you've encountered. Got to this archway. There's an old man sitting there just staring at the ground. We showed him the picture and it's a faded yellow dingy picture and I could barely make out the people. And this person was like about 80 years old without glasses. He looks at the picture. He goes, I think the person in the back looks like so-and-so. And I'm thinking, "How? I can't even tell who this person is, like his face. It's faded, but okay. 
The guy gets in our vehicle. We drive to a house. People come out. They look at this picture. And this one woman looks at the picture and she says, that's me in the picture. Who are you guys? And it was one of those moments of like, wait, am I hearing this right? You're in the picture? This is me. This is this picture was taken with our family. And But who are you? And then, you know, we suddenly realized I'm home was all of a sudden, this is where my grandfather and all my ancestors for generations are from, is this place. So it was one of those moments of like, you went against the odds and you were able to accomplish something that you suddenly had all these setbacks, but through persistence and overcoming noise, the noise and obstacles, we were able to find my grandfather's house. Yeah, that's incredible. And that's how you decided to write your book? Oh, you started your book before? No, that's that's where actually the the book uh, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself came out as a result of this journey to find my ancestral roots, but it was also to find myself. And for me, it, it just was one of those things of, I suddenly realized that our ancestral roots was really literally just a thin thread And if I didn't do this, nobody would have ever found our village again because nobody was going to be doing what I had embarked upon. I think I've got to write this as a story, capture it all through my journal that I was writing while I was on this trip. And I'm glad I kept a journal with me because I could I could sense the emotions I was feeling as a result of this. It was the journal was written in a way it talks about the setbacks as here we go again and we're going to this house. I even wrote in my journal, here we go again, but I was guarded, but equally at the same time, anticipating that I'm, I'm preparing myself that this is not going to work out. And it was so important to me because when I was nine years old, my father had an industrial accident and became a paraplegic. It meant that he never walked again. He'd never been to India. And I wanted to do this for him because you know, he's done a lot for us. And I went with persistence. I had Ziploc bags in my pocket because I wanted to go into the fields, scoop up dirt. And I brought the dirt home to my father so he actually can feel and sense the place where his origins were from as well. And then distributed more of the dirt to other family members. It's it's interesting because it's like, well, what'd you bring back from India? I brought back dirt. And, <laughs> you know, what an interesting gesture. Yeah. Yeah, no, it wasn't anything like jewelry or clothing or anything. What'd you bring back? Dirt. And it became a very valuable thing for our family. So your father, he never got the opportunity to, to go to India either. No. So that's why it was important for me to do this. So how long were you in India? It was a three-week journey. And India is such a massive country. And I didn't want to just jump here, jump there, jump there. I wanted to experience it. So we really kept it narrow where we were going to travel. After found the village, we wound up spending an extra week in India. This is where I think the training wheels came off because now we didn't have a guide and we were trying to decide what do we do now. And we wound up still traveling, but now we could do it a bit more with comfort. And that's where India suddenly felt like I do belong here. And that's where we spent an extra week of going to Jaipur and Udaipur, which are south of New Delhi. Then after that, then we wound up coming back to Delhi and making our way back home. That rounded out this entire trip to India. Wow. Yeah. Sounded interesting. I don't think three weeks is enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> you did a lot in three weeks. Yes. Yes. And so you came back and what happened? 
I shared the stories. Uh, all of my relatives wanted to hear what was it like and the pictures. All of a sudden, they now had a connection back to India that they never realized or, or had. And everybody just sort of gathered around the table as we reveled in the stories of what India was like. Prior to India, everybody had some information or details, but it was very sparse. But when I came back, I was able to fill in a lot of the gaps. The people who I met in the village were my direct relatives. So my grandfather had an older brother. My grandfather wound up leaving Fiji. These were the family members from my grandfather's older brother. I was able to introduce who they are. Literally was adding branches to this genetic tree that we really only had one side to. Growing up in Canada, you didn't relate to people that were from India? No. And, and it wasn't that my parents shielded us away from it or said, no, you're in Canada, you have to be more Canadian. It was just where I live, it's predominantly white Canadians. Now that's changed over the years, but growing up, the stores never really existed. I think there was only one store that sold Indian goods and it was maybe a 20 minute drive. In the place that I live in North Vancouver, there were no Indian stores. Even the food, we had to sort of try to find what we could as substitutes. So you never really were able to. Now, that's changed a lot over the years. Are you still connected now with the people in India? The challenge with India is either by mail or phone, it, it's not that easy. I had my step-cousin going to India, so I gave her the details. She went to the village maybe about uh, three years ago. They're there, we're here, and I think that, uh, that we know of each other's presence but we may not be as solidly connected. I think part of it was mm -hmm. finding the village, but equally at the same time, if I make a trip back to India, I know that I could go back and you know would be welcomed with open arms. So life changed. You now know who you are. You started to share that knowledge with people by writing this book that I have read a portion of it. I haven't finished it yet. The narrative that you think is very captivated. So I really enjoy it. And what happened then after this? It's become a part of my life, this story, beautiful story that needs to be shared. The book was never written about, oh, you know, how many copies can I sell and how much money can I make? It's one of those beautiful stories, and, and I call this book my magnum opus, meaning my masterpiece. I write books in the future, but no book will ever be better than this one because my, my heart and soul, it comes from a special place. It was written. I wanted people to come with me to India through these pages and through these words. You're able to actually experience a country through the eyes of someone else Maybe the book could even be a screenplay in the future. I'm exploring that as an option. Sam, before you wrote this book, you were already a storyteller. Yes. So how did this start with you? Yeah, in 2004 is when I went to India. So that story just sort of sat with me. But in 2011, I did TEDx Simon Fraser University or TEDx SFU, which is where I teach. And I spoke about storytelling because people said, you tell stories. How can I tell stories? And I wound up realizing, well, how do I tell stories? And, you know, the essence of the talk is how I go through life and I can discover that extraordinary parts of life out of ordinary things. So that became this conversation that I had with the audience. And it resonated with this concept of carpe. In other words, carpe diem is seize the day, but carpe is curiosity, appreciation, reflection, 
perspective experience. You created this, Sam? Yes, because what I did was I looked at how do I formulate and tell these stories. And those are the words that just resonated. And it goes in a step-by-step for me. So curiosity means I go through life with my eyes open, my mind open, and there are things that just stop me that might be ordinary. And then I appreciate things for more than what they are. So, you know, if I see a wooden wedge doorstop, it's not a wooden wedge doorstop. That's It is, but it's something more to me, so I'm appreciating it. And I reflect on it by adding purpose and meaning to it, by reflecting what does this mean and, and going through that process. And perspectives means that I've gained all these perspectives and now I can apply it to this journey that I'm, I'm on. And the experience means capturing this as a story so that your story doesn't die an untimely death. And I'll give a quick example. I was walking towards to go teach my class. As I walked to the door, the door was propped open with a wooden wedge. So we've seen this as we've walked by doors that are propped open with a wooden wedge, and I stopped. So there's the curiosity. And I started looking at this doorstop, and I'm saying, it's a doorstop, and it's a wooden wedge, it's common, but there's something about this. So I started appreciating it for more than what it's doing, but I didn't know what it was. And I started reflecting on it and adding, thinking about it deeper, saying, well, it's doing the, holding the door open and that's really great. So I start reflecting and then I started doing the perspectives piece, which is thinking about this further and about my life and my career and all of that. And it suddenly hit me that the wooden wedge doorstop is holding the door open, but that's also reflective of the people who have helped me in my life to get where I am today. They are my wooden wedge doorstops. Now, I never call them wooden wedge doorstops. I think that would be insulting to them. But (laughs) but that's the example of how important that doorstop is because it's reflective of the people that have not only opened the door, but held it open so that it was there. And then the experience was capturing this as something in my life that was important So I never lost that story. So that curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspective experience is how I took something ordinary and I made it into a story of something that's extraordinary. That's a very good explanation. I appreciate it. Thank you. This was your first TED Talk. Yes, yes. Yes, wonderful. What happened after that? You you have had another TEDx. Yeah, so the other TEDx was... uh, activating the voice within to be louder than the noise around in that we go through life with all this noise around us of telling us what to do, but how do you activate the voice within to be louder than the noise around you and taking control of of your life? And it embraces part of that whole storytelling piece, but it's equally about having mentored and coached about 5,000 people to date about it's your journey How do we help you realize your journey? Sam, can you share with us the five elements that you mentioned on your TEDx? Yeah, so that was in that uh, talk was the five core elements, which is for me, the realization was that the moment I stopped looking at what I was going to do and started focusing on who I am, clarity emerged. The five core elements has helped me tremendously because there are five things that I'm not willing to compromise in life. Servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community activator. So those things 
are with me. And any opportunities that now emerge, I compare it to those five things. And where I am in life, it has to hit five out of five. So the the writing, the speaking, the teaching, uh, all the other projects I'm working on hits the five out of five. And what I try to do with other people and help them is to say, okay, let's figure out who you are and then help them to by asking questions to say, let's find the five things in your life you are not willing to compromise that are really important to you in life and careers. And we go through a journey. The clarity will start to emerge because now you have something to balance opportunities against, as opposed to just in a journey to see if it fits or doesn't fit. But you are a professor for SFU. So, but when you talk about this, that you are helping people to figure out what are the elements, that sounds like you're a coach too. Yes. Even in my class, while I teach organizational behavior, we've got the theoretical aspects and organizational behavior encompasses a, a part about personality, individualism, and I don't make them force them to do the five core elements. But what I do ask them to do is write a personal statement, introducing themselves to me, but not in a resume style. But tell me what is your story? What is your journey? What's your narrative? You know, oftentimes they say it's it's really difficult to do it, but we do it in the beginning of the semester and then we revisit it at the end of the semester and they have a chance to, if they want to change their narrative, if they want to change the focus of it, they can, or they can keep it the same. I sort of want them to start building this aspect of asking who they are as opposed to only focusing on what they do, but it blends into the class that I teach. But so then these five core elements, so these ones are yours. So it's not like I use number one to find mine. No, Okay. no. It's all about this inquiry. And I ask questions. And the way that I do that, I say, okay, so tell me about the previous jobs you've had or the job you have right now. What do you like about it and don't like about it? What about classes you took? What did you like about the classes, didn't like about the classes? And tell me what you like to do in your spare time. But for each of those, I'm always asking why. So if you say, you know, my job is this and this is what I like about it, then I ask, well, why do you like that? And we try to find collectively words that resonate. So oftentimes, for example, family is really important to me. And I said, okay, why is family important? Well, it offers me those relationships and connectedness that I have to the people that are closest to me. And I said, okay, no, that's great. And we talk about the why. And then I say, now, does the relationships and connectedness apply to your work environment? And they're like, well, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Does it also apply to your school, for example? And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Is it family or is it relationship and connectedness? Because relationship connectedness is, is broader compared to just family. And they're like, oh, yeah. So maybe one of their five is relationship and connectedness, but it embraces the work environment, it embraces the family or their school. And it's not that we just come up with these words and then you're like, okay, goodbye. It's asking those deeper questions of why and knowing that you can change this anytime in your life as you find experiences, you can always change, like mine's changed over time. But those five I gave, those ones are, are mine. And it becomes my signature, my DNA for my personality. People can change it anytime, but it's all about that inquiry piece, but asking questions 
which is what my role is to help them discover. I will say that I only have four. So I don't know if one needs five. Only reason I say five, I think five is a nice number. Less than five, you really find it difficult to align the opportunities to it. And once you go beyond five, I find to draw a line in the sand. Don't look at the career you have and try to align the words to the career. It's almost the other way around. Look at who you are and then see if the career lines up. Mm, that's a good advice. What happened before India? You were a professor. I had just started, but my role and responsibility was student engagement. In other words, helping students realize that GPAs and transcripts are not the only thing you need in life. In fact, most employers are not even asking about your grade point average, your transcript, or a copy of your degree. They're asking about, demonstrate and show me what you can do. There was a, an environment or a culture of students are coming to class and going home, but there's not this engagement piece. So they provided me a budget. They said, engage the students. And we got to see a shift in culture from disengagement to engagement. And then while I was doing that, I was working on my master's. My associate dean thought, you know what, maybe we should get you into teaching as well. So I transitioned into the teaching role. So 2004, the year I went to India, is when I started at the university. But prior to it, I had the corporate job and realized the corporate job didn't fit. And that's really when I started looking at who I was as opposed to what I wanted to do. And then I transitioned into working on the Olympic bid to get the Games to Vancouver, Canada. And that was one of the most exciting projects I've ever worked on. And then I got to Simon Fraser University, which is where the India trip emerged from. Sam, what else are you looking forward to? What are, what are your plans? The things that I'm doing right now in life just really resonate. It's something I really appreciate and enjoy. So the teaching, I think I'll carry on for as it goes along. I enjoy being in the presence of these young individuals, writing another book, leadership and followership, equally at the same time, speaking at conferences to help and share stories. The path and journey that I'm on, I think, is, is really what I appreciate right now. I see it continuing for the next many years until a new opportunity emerges, and then we'll see where that takes me. But I'm very open to the journey itself. And Sam, would you have done something different? Knowing what you know, if you if you were going back to you know the typical thing, if you go back to see Sam, the one who wasn't sure who he was, would you have said something that will have changed? What I would tell the young Sam who was in university thinking that which company is lucky to get me, I would just tell him, the journey is going to be a challenge. But equally at the same time, I'm not going to tell you what the journey will be, just that be persistent and everything will be fine in the end. Yes, great, great. I would like to know something silly that you do or have. <laughs> well, I've played in an Irish military pipe band for 11 years and I'm not Irish and I never knew how to <laughs> drum, but I threw persistence and uh, my pipe major said uh, to me, the drumming I can teach you, the commitment I can't. And for 11 years, I played uh, in a military pipe band as a drummer. And that was an amazing experience. Wow, that's uh, fun. Uh, you, do you use that at all, that skill? Not anymore, but it makes for a nice, interesting story when you sit down with people and they ask me the question of, tell me something you've done that was different or silly. And I tell them, well, it wasn't silly, but it was fun. And it was playing in an Irish military pipe band. And they're like, how did you get into it? Tell me about those things. So those are other stories as well. Yeah, that's not uh, 
in North Vancouver, there's a lot of Irish people? There are. There are. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Sam, are there any nuggets of wisdom that you would like to leave us with? Obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. Don't fear the obstacles. Embrace them. My life has been full of obstacles. But instead of the idea of, oh, you know, it's not working and this and this and that, I, I learn from the obstacles. And I'm so glad that along this journey to India or anything that I've done, the obstacles have helped to make me who I am because I've been aware of them. And how I started is how I'd like to end is to say everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth living. Everybody is a living story and everybody has something to share. I call myself a storyteller, but I'm also a story sharer, meaning storytelling is one directional when I teach my class or speaking at a conference, but story sharing is where two people sit down or a group of people sit down and everybody has something to contribute and share. We all have something to contribute. Wonderful. I really appreciate that you were here, that you shared your, this information. I encourage everyone to get your book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. It's a wonderful story, and I look forward for more books. Uh, thank you so much, and appreciate for being here today and being able to share. Thank you. I am Daniela Stockflit Menis, and you are listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. Here are three things for you. Share, review, and subscribe. Share the episode with a friend if you enjoy the show. Send me a brief review at bhat.podcast at gmail.com is in the show notes with your feedback because it is important to me. I want to know what you would like to listen to, what you don't like, what you like, and that will help me connect and grow. And number three, subscribe to get instant updates if you haven't done it yet. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto.